Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Mel. And I'm Trish. And this is the Don't Give a 50 podcast. Let's make getting old the new gold, as you say. I like that. I like that one too. That was mine. (laughs) That was mine. Hi, 50-ishers. It's Mel and Trish. Welcome to this week's episode of Don't Give a 50, a podcast for midlife women who dare to be awesome and don't give a 50 like us. We would love you to continue to spread the word about our podcast and let our fellow 50-ishers know we exist. So Trish, this week's podcast is with the beauty, <laughs> the beauty, she is a beauty. <laughs> she is a beauty. Um, inside and out, mm. Millie. Yeah, yeah. Millie Thomas, who is an eating disorders coach. Yeah. So we talk about eating disorders in midlife and how different hormonal changes and just life circumstances can trigger dormant eating disorders or Mm. maybe even, you know, bring them to the forefront, you know, with things like COVID, everyone being home, old kind of strategies to keep them masked. It should light light on it um, and how easy it can happen. So Mm. she, she shed light on a lot of things for me, a lot of things I didn't know didn't understand, but um, I do once now. again. I've got a few red flags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did identify that my um, abhorrence of beetroot and fish <laughs> could potentially be labelled something. And well, I, I don't know joke. where I am on the eating dis- <laughs> disorder spectrum at this stage, but clearly, I could yeah. fall under a couple of the labels. Maybe we've all got a bit of something. Well, I don't think anyone that grew up in the eighties, yeah. I think very few that grew up in the 80s with social media. Oh, no social media. No social media. Mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, Um, exactly. So here's our chat with Millie Thomas. So Trish and I always wanted to bring a certain lightheartedness to the Don't Give a 50 podcast without skirting around the tricky topics that affect us as midlife women. As you know, virtually no topic is out of bounds and some of them are oh, more okay. comfortable than others. Along the with wa- my waxing my face. <laughs> Sorry to keep bringing that up, Trish, but it was funny. Along the way, we are learning an enormous amount and are continually amazed at the truth of what is going on in the lives of our 50-ish tribe. And one of those truths involves our relationship with food. Midlife is a triggering time for many of us with raging hormones, changes in our shape and size that we can't seem to control. Oh my God, my boobs, what is going on? (laughs) They're taking on a life of their own. Bigger by the day. There are fluctuations in weight, transitions to empty nesters, marriage and relationship breakdowns, career changes, and all these things can have a serious impact on our mental health and in turn our relationship with food. It's something we weren't terribly familiar with, but we understand it's an emerging problem for midlife women. You can speak for yourself about we're not familiar with. (laughs) My relationship with food has been an ongoing issue my whole life. But I have one too. It's just different to yours. 
So today we are delighted to have Millie Thomas in the studio with us. Millie is an eating disorder recovery coach and NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming Practitioner, who helps clients around the world gain freedom from their eating disorders and reclaim their lives. Millie herself battled anorexia nervosa for 15 years and very nearly lost her life to her illness. In fact, it was so severe that her treatment team gave up on her and she was told to consider palliative care options. Her enormous courage and commitment saw her recover and was a catalyst for a complete change. She left her hometown of Auckland, New Zealand and moved to her happy place on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, where she became determined to use her lived experience to help bring eating disorders out of the shadows and into the light. She now dedicates her time to eating disorder advocacy and eating disorder recovery coaching. Millie works with Sunshine Coast-based charity Ended, where she has been involved in numerous projects, including the establishment of Australia's first residential eating disorder facility, Wandi Nerida, and in 2020, she launched her private practice, Healed. Hello and welcome to Don't Give a 50, beautiful Millie. Hello, Millie. Hello. It's an absolute (laughs) pleasure to be here with you, girls. We have to just let our 50-ish tribe know that you're not a 50-isher. No, Um, I'm not. You're young enough enough to be my daughter. (laughs) (laughs) And mine. Yes, yes. But anyway, and um, love you as such. Mills. Uh, Millie and I are friends and uh, we have a wonderful friendship. And so this was a great opportunity for me to be really selfish and get you in here with us mm-hmm. and share your knowledge and understanding of this topic with our 50s tribe. And oh. fun fact, Millie actually has a podcast as well. And it mm. was Millie who Mel spoke to about starting our podcast off. It was. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It seems like only yesterday it we does. were talking about that. And look at you guys go now. I know. It's roaring. She's our mentor. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> she is. She's our guiding light. And here she is talking to us in the studio. But we should dive in, right? Okay. We're, we're so easy to get off track. <laughs> I we're love that about you guys. We're shocking Millie, well, so just, keep an eye on us. I just cut Millie off before, so Millie... No, I just wanted to say I'm so happy to be here with you guys and I'm so excited about your podcast and and I know that it's having such an impact on so many people. So I'm proud of you. Oh, Uh, thank you, darling girl. Thank you. So, Millie, as Mel said, let's cut to the chase. You said that you believe no matter how long or hard someone's journey with an eating disorder has been, full recovery is always possible. Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. Why is that? Because I know from my own experience, I was told myriads of times that, you know, I had been like this for too long. Uh, Even if I fully weight restored, uh, it was 99%, which was 99% impossible, that I would still have the thoughts. I'd have to learn how to manage the thoughts. And for me, it was like, well, I don't want to put all this effort into gaining the weight and getting well if I'm still going to have the thoughts that just seemed pointless to me. Millie, what what are those thoughts like for people that haven't had that mindset? What what are the thoughts? What's the sim? So, for when you're in the midst of an eating disorder, your thoughts around food, exercise, and your body consume you completely and utterly. And I mean every waking minute and even in your sleep. You're constantly calculating. You're constantly trying to figure out, for, for me, because I had anorexia, it was trying to figure out how I could eat less, how I could exercise more, and how I could, could lose more weight. And constantly analyzing your body. Uh, everything is a calculation. Everything is a manipulation. Wow. And you just, you just don't, it doesn't stop. Yeah, okay. So you think, so Mills, just getting back to um, Trisha's question, you think that the reason why um, recovery is always possible is because of your prognosis and the fact that you recovered. So if you can be as bad as you were and pull through, anything is possible. Absolutely. But I've also worked with clients who have suffered for 45 years with severe anorexia and who are now recovered. I have seen people who have been in the depths of the illness for Mm. decades and decades and who now are thriving and have amazing lives. I'm not naive. I know that there are people who don't fully recover, but it is possible to fully recover. Mm. Okay, good point. Millie, ultimately we are interested in issues that affect midlife women and in your work you've seen an increase in, in inquiries from women in midlife who are battling eating disorders. So what do you believe is behind this increase? We're very curious about this. Okay, so there are a lot of different factors that I think are coming into play. Uh, Obviously, COVID has had a big impact on eating disorders in general and on women in midlife. So 
there may be women out there who've been able to be functioning with their eating disorder and it hasn't really been a focus for the family or no one's picked up on it. And then all of a sudden we're in lockdown, we're at home and husband's starting to notice, are you okay, yeah, really weird? anything. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So that's sort of one thing. Also children are picking up on it. Well, mum, yes. why don't you sit and eat that, that with us? Mm-hmm. Well, mum, why would, you know, you're doing all this baking and you never they eat that baking. busy schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, COVID is definitely one of them. Other things, you know, things like people going through changes in their lives. So whether it be children leaving home, so you've got that empty nest, you've now got more time to focus on food, your body, exercise may start to get a little bit obsessive. The thing is with eating disorders, it can start off really innocently and it can seem like, oh, this is a great lifestyle change. I'm just going to start eating healthy and doing more exercise. And then the rigidity starts to kick in. And if you're a, a type A high achiever perfectionist like me and have got a genetic predisposition to an eating disorder as well, unbeknown to you, mm-hmm. then suddenly the scene is set. I always talk about the fact that with eating disorders, the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. Wow. And so, you know, you're looking at it and going, okay, right, well, actually, I, I'm not a busy mum anymore. The kids have gone, oh, okay, well, I might just start getting a little bit more toned up. And then you start comparing yourself to other women. And then your husband starts noticing and going, oh, you're looking good. Oh, yeah. And so th- therefore, mm. that is all basically fueling those thoughts around, oh, it's important for me to look a certain way. I'm starting to get these compliments. And before Mm. you know it, it's a snowball effect. Mm. Um, One of the other things I think too is if if someone's going through a marriage breakup as well, that sense of needing to, you know, uh, feel better about themselves. So they Mm. might start a new diet or exercise regime again. And it can just so quickly spiral out of Mm. control. And then I think also all of these images in the media that you're bombarded with mm. you know as midlife woman I mean we need way more age diversity and things like that out there as well as body diversity and I think sometimes women can get caught up on trying to still look like they did when they were 20 which, mm. is, which is never going to happen plus Instagram TikTok plastic surgery I mean where do we even you know yeah, yeah. I guess too with that kind of midlife women the, the perimenopause and the hormone fluctuation it's not as easy to shift the weight as once. So therefore then you're going, okay, well, these were the rules that I had when I wanted to lose weight, but now these rules aren't working, so I'm going to have to have a whole new set of rules mm. that are even more rigid. Yeah, so good that point. could trigger it off as more well. More extreme. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what, Trish, the key word that you've just used there is rule. Yes. We shouldn't have to live by rules when it comes to food and exercise. That right there is, it's a trap. It's a, mm. it's, it's a, you know, it's almost like a life sentence if you're having to live by rigidity and rules when it comes to food and exercise. And the sad thing is we live in a diet culture saturated society where rules and rigidity around food and exercise are absolutely normalized. And that is why we have epidemic rates of eating disorders. So true. And what I found really interesting in what you just said as well, Millie, is that culture of everyone congratulates you and comments when you've lost weight. And then you think, are you cocking me? Like you didn't say that last time I saw you. So were you thinking, oh, gee, she's let herself go a bit? Mm. You know, like it. And and, and it's so weird because you... Yeah, it, it's something that I try not to do yeah. now. Uh, yeah, but I've only just learned that, like yeah. in the last twelve months, because you know it's just part of our culture. It's so you know it's important. like a, a badge of honor. You've lost weight. You look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. It's so important that we don't comment on people's appearance and it mm. is very, very hard. Or if you do, it's not weight related. It's like you look beautiful or... But and, but it's a really hard thing not to do when we've become so accustomed to doing it. It's so a very normalised thing. And yeah. I think one of the most important things that we must, you know, must make sure that we do is with the younger generation, we've got to stop the focus on you're looking gorgeous or, you know, it's got to be, you know, compliments around or have haven't you got fabulous legs for running or things like focus on you know strength or isn't that great or you've got yeah, great you're as beautiful on the inside as you are on the out exactly yeah. strong arms for climbing trees you know you you're so clever you did so well in that math test or mm. things like that where we're so you're shifting a gorgeous person. yes yeah. or you really make me smile I love being around you mm. you make me feel really warm inside good company exactly yeah. shifting Perfect. the focus because otherwise they grow up thinking that that is the most important thing 
And especially I think, you know, people who, you know, have been in different industries like modelling and stuff like that and that was their currency or if they were, you know, if that was their mm-hmm. currency growing up that they were really thin and they were really pretty or whatnot and then if they feel that currency slipping away, I think that that's also a trigger. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's interesting too because in midlife when women do lose too much weight, it can have the opposite effect on their appearance. They can look drawn. Yeah, drawn. I, <laughs> I remember. I shouldn't, not as, not I as shouldn't vibrant, be laughing. Not as healthy. Mm. As, I shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny. I completely agree. Mm. But I did. I lost some weight a while ago. It was probably a good five years ago now and one of my friends said to me, you're looking a bit gaunt. And really? I, yeah, but at the time I was actually going, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've, that was never a word that had been were used. You, so you were happy to be told that you looked gaunt? Oh, well, I was happy that I was thin, potentially not gaunt, but, yeah, because um, yeah. gaunt yeah. is not a compliment, <laughs> is it? It's <laughs> not, but when you've always been voluptuous. gaunt. Yeah. But yeah. isn't it funny, Trish? But voluptuous is so attractive. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the definition in the dictionary of voluptuous. What is it? Full of and fond of the luxuries and pleasures of life. Ooh. That's one of my favourite oh, words. Love and fond of the luxuries, the luxuries and pleasures of and life. And never was a truer definition. <laughs> definition. <laughs> definition. <laughs> Shit, we're both having problems today. I love that. But isn't it mm. interesting that immediately, you know, that, that, that feeling of, oh, I'm thin, that somehow is an ideal that's prized. Now, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. That we are all... You know, well, not all of us. I can't speak for everyone, but but there is a large proportion of society that strives after that thin ideal and still does, even though we're seeing more diversity yes. on the runways, we're yep. seeing you know more diversity in advertising campaigns and all of that. But there's still this underlying, almost you know, just praising this this yeah, ideal. Really, it's so true, darling. And I think it's um. Sorry, I said darling, and I'm not being patronising. No, it's because you agree, darling. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> no, no, Dave, Dave and Trish pulled me up on it the no, other day because I called her sweetie. Darling. It was you, it wasn't the sweetie. You could call me sweetie all the time. I it was do. Just the, Even in my text messages the, to you. Back to your point. I think women in our age group were conditioned to believe thin was pretty. That was the goal. It was something you know. In our bikinis at the beach growing oh, yes. up, everyone wanted to be skinny, and I was never skinny. I was always athletic. I never fit that ideal. I was never, ever comfortable in my bikinis at the beach. You look at yeah, Elle McPherson's. I mean, people said, oh, she was, I mean, she's obviously very healthy, but she was, she's still, I've seen her in real life. She's very, very thin. Yes. And I'm not no, judging her. She is like, obviously, naturally, she's, she's not, very healthy mm-hmm. and she looks after herself and she's naturally very slender. But if you didn't fall into that naturally very slender category, Genetics. it was really difficult for us. Yeah. Thin was beautiful when we grew up. And I think we have internalized that so maybe that's playing into this I whole so. this whole role of it emerging now in midlife where a lot of women have been very very busy either raising children or with their careers or both mm-hmm. and then you transition to emptiness and you've got this hyper focus on yourself now because you've got adult children that don't need you to the same extent yes and you've got an eating disorder and didn't even realize and it just triggers because you've yeah. got the time and yeah looking back to that time it's a little bit I different hated now that time because we have the diversity of picking who and what we choose in social media mm-hmm. and following. But back then Correct. it was just the four TV stations yep. and magazines. Mm. 95% of them were all thin and drop-dead gorgeous. So yeah. that was your guiding light. Yeah. And from someone, like I've always been fluctuating, voluptuous, and look, I would have no doubt that there's some sort of disordered eating with my whole journey mm-hmm. throughout binge, you know, um, kind of, what do they call it, those diets? Fad. Fad. Fad diets. <laughs> you know, fad diets and then, you know, the kind of limiting myself so much and then, you know, up to a certain date mm-hmm. or event or whatnot and then the floodgates open. Yes. And then you're not alone there, Trish. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So, but I think as well, like being a voluptuous girl and you are more, I guess I get to see the other side of it as in that how you feel sometimes when you are voluptuous is, you know, you feel like, do people perceive me as lazy? Do people perceive me as weak? Do people perceive me as, you know, letting myself go? Like all of that dialogue goes on in your head. Mm. You know, it's not just the normal. Because so many people out there 
hormonal conditions, genetics, yeah, so much. Like, you know, I can eat really well and exercise really well mm. and I'll still be a voluptuous girl. So, And there's so many people out there like that. Yeah. But I think that society in the 80s that we grew up in has, mm. you know, gives you the feeling that if you're not a particular, you know, size 12 size. or whatnot, that mm. there's somehow that you are not trying hard enough or there's mm. some sort of weakness or lack of willpower or all of that. So, Millie, where do I sign up? You're looking at me with concern. <laughs> I, I want to sort of make the next point because you just um, touched on it there and that is that um, you know, I've been doing a bit of background reading and I've learned that there's not only eating disorders but disordered eating, which is what you yes. mentioned, Trish. So can you explain what disordered eating is? So disordered eating is, you know, the, this idea that you are controlling your food you say if you were going to go out to dinner you might think okay well I'm not going to eat uh, you know during the day because I know I'm going to go out for dinner and I'm going to go and drink and I'm going to have a bit of a blowout and this well you hear it at the cafes all the time people come out to the counter oh I'm having this today you know I'm having it because I've I was so good yesterday or I've mm. been to the, you know this whole idea that oh, we're somehow I won't, gonna... I won't eat dinner tonight yes yeah. exactly so there's kind of this disorder and it, it isn't normal for people to do that you know not not listening to your hunger cues, thinking, no, I'll just, I'll have a coffee instead because I know that I've got that work lunch. And and this this also, you know, plays into this whole idea around how we label foods. So talking about, oh, well, I've been good because I've only been eating these certain foods or I'm not going to eat that because it's really bad. It's like food does not have a moral value. You are not mm. inherently good or bad for eating a particular type of food. Food is food. Yes, it has different nutritional qualities, but it doesn't make it good or bad. There's just different types of food that you diff- eat in different amounts and we need a good variety. Um, and it's so, so important that we take away those labels and that judgment around eating those foods. And I think, you know, what you were talking about before in terms of the diet mentality, this is this is key, is do not deny yourself. If you're craving chocolate, have some chocolate and move on because you bet your bottom dollar, you deny yourself, deny yourself, deny yourself, well, you're going to end up having a binge on chocolate and feeling awful. Yeah, so mm. true. And, and so, when you said good and bad before, that's kind of how you felt like being voluptuous. You feel bad. You feel like that you're not in the good thing because you're not a certain size or have willpower or whatever those stories you tell yourself and you, you put yourself in the bad pile. And that mm. comes from you know, internalising other people's judgments, expectations, what you see in the media, what you hear people talking about. And I yeah. think that's what's really hard is we live, I believe, a fat-phobic, diet-culture-saturated society. Absolutely. And so therefore, hence, we have these this disordered eating, these eating disorders, yeah. um, and that's why we've got things like orthorexia, um, which for people who don't know is an eating disorder where it is very much around, you know, the clean eating, you know, things like these oh, keto and paleo and over-exercising. And That's all part of orthorexia, is Yeah, it? yeah. Uh, that, that really That was another question I had for you. Mary. everything healthy. And I think when I've been, like when I get do a cleanse or whatever I label it, that I can almost get into that state. You stick so, to them so very, much, very, very but strictly. Then when, you know, the floodgates open, they mm. open. So that it's, it's beetroot like you can't juice, find Trish. that. That beetroot Fermented juice. beetroot juice. Yeah, Thank I you. mean, anyone that can eat that crap. Anyway. <laughs> Millie, I'm sure you've had a fermented beetroot juice in your time and they're quite I nice have with a bit of apple. never, <laughs> ever had a fermented beetroot juice past my lips and I don't well, I fancy. have it with a little bit of apple juice and I put some oh, look at you renegade into it. Very fermented. And, and what? So what is that? Was for gut health. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which was okay. a different so issue. I, a couple of years ago, I got shingles, and you know mm-hmm. that's a sign of that you need to clean up your act. So I just did um, a bit of a gut cleanse and fermented foods. So beetroot and, and apple. And this fermented. is this is the thing. Like there are things that there's so much out there like that, right? And it's becoming more and more mainstream that people are gluten free. They're dairy free. They're doing this for their gut health. This, that, and the other. And it's all sort of very much prey 
raised. And so therefore, it's really hard for people who are predisposed to an eating disorder because if they go into that, like I will never Mm. go on a cleanse. I will never do a fast. I will never because... I will never put myself in a position mm. where, mm. you know, I've been fully recovered now for, oh, I'm fully recovered yeah. in 2016, whatever that is. I'm not good at maths. Yeah. But, you know, it has been a long, long time, but I'm not going to put myself in that yeah. position exactly. because It'd be I like know. like an alcoholic having a drink or <clears throat> a smoker having, I'll just have one puff. It's exactly. Just, yeah, so for some again. people, mm. they can do those things and that's okay. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't make it not disordered, but, you know, it doesn't go into a full-blown eating disorder. Yeah. So it would take, like, quite a high level of self-awareness, wouldn't it, to know that you are one of those people that is teetering on the edge of an eating disorder, oh. that you have that personality type. As you described yourself before, Millie, you know, the type A high achiever, you rattle off all those other characteristics. Mm. So mm. you would really need to know where you're at, which is a good place for midlife women, I find, because I do think we have high high levels of self-awareness generally. Yes. Maybe not all of us, but most of us are pretty good at knowing where we're at. So I think yeah. it's tapping into that, isn't it? And thinking, oh, actually. Actually, I could be that person, you know, or maybe Mm. I'm actually really interesting. What you said way back, Millie, too, was how it can start really small. That I found quite frightening because, you know, there are probably midlife women out there right now listening to us. Millie, on that, potentially at the beginning, some of of the signs Mm. that we should be Mm. looking out for. So definitely any changes in habits around food, um, which, you know, I say that and, and, and <laughs> people are changing their habits around food all the time. Are they, oh, well, I've decided I'm going keto. Oh, okay, gosh, well, I'm doing so gluten-free, much, yes. I'm doing dairy-free, whatever. So I know that it's a very normalised thing and that's why it can be hard to pick it up. But people avoiding situations around food. So mm-hmm. say if you've got a friend who's sort of going, oh, no, well, I won't I, I won't come to that dinner, but let's, you know, catch up I'll another catch time. Afterwards for yeah, yes. Yeah. Or, oh, like, no, I ate beforehand or just always sort of excuses around that. Definitely changes in possibly doing a lot more exercise because I think exercise really does play into it as well because ultimately it's all about creating this this body. The um, as yeah, well. and, and that sense of control mm-hmm. around it. I guess not being themselves, mm. not um, probably having as much say, energy and vibrancy, maybe not being present. I think, you know, when it really starts to take hold, you notice that there's sort of like a bit of a mask that comes down and mm-hmm. sort of people just become a lot more distant because they're so in their head trying to figure everything out. When's the next workout going to be? How are they going to, if they're sitting there at lunch with you, oh gosh, how are we going to make make up for what we're just eating here. And so just it can be these little changes that you notice in people. And obviously, I mean, there are weight loss or weight gain. The energy and the Mm. vibrancy as well. Yes, totally. And I I think it is important to also point out that, you know, when we think about eating disorders, this is a big reason why we started our podcast for Mm -hmm. End Dead, the End Eating Disorders podcast. It was really, really important to me that we started squashing all the myths and stigma around about eating disorders, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because a lot of people still see that that ideal in their in their mind of an eating disorder, which is a thin white, uh, yes. you know, well-to-do woman, yeah. and that that's just absolutely not the case. I mean, what we know is the highest rate of eating disorders is actually binge eating disorder. Yeah. And so it's not just about people being underweight. And seventy percent of my clients wouldn't fit into the underweight weight range right now. So it's not just about the weight. Yes, that plays into it, but there are all these other factors as well. Mm-hmm. And it can be as much about weight loss as it can be about weight gain in terms of the level of um, the psychology behind disorder, it. absolutely, yes. and just how consumed yeah. you are. And what, what's the trigger and the reason behind it from a psychological point of view, I could imagine, would also have bearing on whether it's a, a thinness or a, an overeating disorder. Absolutely. The reasoning. So those overeating disorders, um, Millie, do they purge? So that binge eating disorder... How does that work? I it's not constant, is it? Would there be it's different just, types? I guess be some triggers. would just so, be... So there's bulimia yeah. Yeah, so when someone binges and purges. The, the thing with eating disorders is that there you can, for example, have anorexia with a binge-purge subtype. So right. it can be primarily restrictive, but sometimes binge and purge. And so the, the, someone... And eating disorders morph. So someone can start off with anorexia and then it could turn into binge eating disorder. And so there are all these nuances, but someone with binge eating disorder um, generally doesn't purge. 
Learn but again, everybody's different. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not to say that someone ha- who has binge eating disorder and purges doesn't have binge eating disorder. That's that's not correct. Yes. But as a general rule, kind of, someone you could look with at bulimia it like a would spectrum, purge. You know, and there's just different places on the spectrum with different, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's it, very you're complex. Very, you're, very, you're very right. It, there is a spectrum. And I think, and people oscillate on there. And also, what we've got to be aware of too is that with eating disorders come other comorbidities. So, quite often, I have clients come to me and they, you know, say are struggling with anorexia, but also alcoholism or, you know, bulimia or they have a problem with drugs or they've got a borderline personality disorder or mm. there are numerous other complications that come with eating disorders. And they're hand in hand. Mm. Gosh, it's a lot. Millie, if anyone in our 50 tribe is concerned that someone they know is potentially developing an eating disorder, what is the best way for them to approach it? One of the most important things is that you don't come at them with judgment. Don't make them feel like you are, you know, sitting upon them and and saying, well, I've noticed this and, and this is, you know, highly concerning. Really coming from a place of love and concern. Saying, look, I've noticed a few things. I've just noticed you're not quite yourself. Is something going on? Do you want to do you want to chat? Providing a real safe space where they can be open, feel like they can be vulnerable with you, and just let things out is super super important. Um, offering perhaps to say if they're nervous or apprehensive about seeing a psychologist around things or making some appointments, helping them with that, saying, look, you know, I actually got a friend who's a GP and I'm mm. sure she'd be she'd be more than willing to see you, making them feel like there is absolutely no judgment. So coming from a place of compassion and non-judgment is key. And I guess too, not trying to fix them as such, just trying to help them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we can't, can we? No, no. No. But I know there's just people out there and I get that, that you want to, you want to help everyone, you want to fix everything for everyone. Like there's people, please, out there and I think that their their heart's in the right place but some people need to you know it's once again it's going well you think there's something wrong with me and mm. that's probably what triggers part of the eating disorder in the first place so it's kind of standing with them yeah. rather than trying to fix them. I also think there can be a level of frustration when someone comes in and thinks right well I'm going to fix you because yeah. unless you've had an eating disorder mm. you oh, cannot begin I to understand what's even actually going yeah. on. To, Figure yeah. that, figure There's it out. There's actually, and um, Hugh, I can't ever pronounce his last name, Hugh Vanden. Hugen Band. Hugen Jigen Band. He has the book The Resilience Project mm-hmm. and he is a public speaker and he's very brilliant, but his sister had an eating disorder or has an eating disorder, but he, he talks about when he was a teenager and his frustration with it, just think, and then as an adult looking back that he just did not understand and have no concept about what was going on with her at the time because he just didn't get in her head how consuming or how it operated. And this is why I do what I do because I know that if I'd had someone with lived experience mm. that, I, that that really got it, then that would have made a huge difference to my own recovery. I think what was really difficult is that no one, no one could understand why I just couldn't make the decision to stop doing this stuff. You know, you, you're told you're going to die. Come on, come on. You, you say you don't want to die, yet you go on and you do the same things every day that are leading you into that same mm. trap. Yes. And I think that's, yeah, that's why it's important not to judge people with eating disorders. And that's why it's important to guide them in the right direction to getting that professional help. Um, and I honestly, I think about it a lot. I think, gosh, would I... Would I really have an understanding and an empathy around eating disorders if I hadn't been there? I, because it's like, it is such an, I mean, it's an insidious beast of an illness, but it's also just, it's weird. You know, like <laughs> if you actually get that. stand <laughs> I back do weird. And, yeah. and, you know, you like, I look at the things that I did and, you know, the things that I worked through with clients. It's also second nature to me. So to me, it seems totally normal, normal because I absolutely understand why you're thinking that way. And so we need to nip that in the bud. But for an outsider, it's like, sorry, what did you just say? Mm. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? And that's like a lot of mental health disorders because you think, okay, logically, I know this, but in my head, it's saying this. And you can almost see it and put it in two different boxes. You well, can go, look, I know that that's the right thing, but 
I can't do that. I've got to do this. And there's a, a great analogy when we talk about eating disorders and they talk about, um, so it's like someone saying you're sitting in a room with someone and you can clearly see that the chair is green. There's a chair there that's yes. green. And the other person's saying, no, the chair's red. And you're saying, well, no, it's green. I can see that it's green. And the other person's saying, no, the chair is red. And this is what it's like when you're in the middle of an eating disorder and someone's saying to you, you know, well, no, you're drastically underweight or, you know, whatever, whatever the reality is. And I'm standing in front of the mirror and that's not what I'm seeing. Well, try and tell me that what I'm seeing in the mirror isn't my reality. I physically can see it. I can physically feel feel it, it. Mm. and you're telling me it's not the reality. So my eating disorder is going, you are a, they're a liar. They're just trying to, you know, and, and yeah. so it's really, it's so, it's so and vicious and that strong. Can be obviously very alienating as mm. well because then you're, Absolutely. the people closest to you can be seen or can be viewed as your enemy Absolutely. and what you just said, Millie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those, you know, trying to help you. Yeah. You're going, no. No, no, no. You, you've got it out. To me. Yeah, You're yeah. Not to yeah. You've me. got You're it in for me. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. that's part of that whole body dysmorphing disorder, which I'm mm. sure is hand in hand. It sure is. And it, it is one of the hardest, I think it's one of the hardest parts. One of the really fascinating things I found was even when I was fully weight restored, I still wasn't seeing my body correctly as everyone else was seeing. It took another about six months after that for my brain to catch up and for me actually to see things in reality as they were in the present moment, but to also be able to look back at photos from that time when I was very, very unwell and see them just as you know, everybody else was seeing them and really see how, how horrific things had gotten. Mm. So it's uh, the, the power of the mind is, is truly, you know, something else. Millie, when you eventually looked back at those images and could see how ill you were, was there an element of surprise? Like how long did that I take? I burst into tears. Did you? Yeah. So it you was very at, confronting. You'd seen them for a while and then all of a sudden you went, wow. Yes. The penny it, dropped. It was incredibly confronting. Oh, it was I'm very so emotional. sorry you went through that gorgeous girl. Oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And, and if it hadn't now happened. you are such a beautiful, bright light to so many out there who I could just imagine are so grateful for your existence and your journey. Well, I feel very grateful that I've had that opportunity to turn something that was such an incredibly horrible, horrible doesn't, is not really the str- yeah. strong enough word, but I can never, the thing is with this illness, I can never find strong enough words to articulate yes. what it's like to be in the depths. I mean, it's, it's no living, language. It's a living hell. Um, but to be able to turn basically my pain into my passion and, and do what I do now is something that I am very grateful for. And so I do, you know, obviously I, I don't regret my journey because it's, it's brought me to where I journey. am today. Yeah. Yeah. Millie, what would you say to anyone listening who isn't sure whether they need to seek help or not because they don't feel like their relationship with food is bad enough to warrant it? I would say to them that the fact that you're even having the thought about, oh, do I need to seek help about this is an absolute red flag that you 100% do need to seek help. If your thoughts around food and your body are having an impact on your life in some way, no matter how small, Mm-hmm. You need to go and see someone. And so it's who, really important. Who do you start with? So the best, when we look at uh, eating disorder recovery, the highest efficacy is you know when you have got a multidisciplinary team. So mm-hmm. you've got a GP, you've got a dietitian, and a psychologist. At the very least, would be awesome to also have a psychiatrist, if need be, and an eating disorder recovery coach in there as well mm-hmm. would be great. And there's also a lot of different other you know holistic things that you can look at. As in, I did NLP and hypnotherapy. There are many other modalities that you can pop in there as well. But if we're just looking at it very simply, that would be, so the key thing would probably be to go to your GP, get a mental health care plan, and then seek help from um, an eating disorder specialised psychologist and dietitian and just get some get some advice on where to. Millie, you mentioned NLP. And yes. Could you explain a little bit about that for me? So <laughs> over the 15 years that I was unwell, I had tried a myriad of different therapies and had had no success. So NLP for me was an absolute game changer and hence why I've now trained to be a practitioner. So it's very much looking at things completely differently to how any other modality had looked at it. So it's working on your unconscious mind to really change those neural pathways. So when you're in an eating disorder, I describe it like there's an eating disorder superhighway going on in your head. And on the side of the highway somewhere, there is a, a bush track that someone's once kind of tried to kind 
kind of carve out. And that that's basically your healthy self. That is the highway that we need. Well, it's not a highway. It's a little bush track that we need to make a highway. Gotcha. And so for me, it was like, okay, right. When doing NLP helped me to change from just jumping on that highway every day, which was so easy and I was so used to, and it was such second nature, to really making, I've got what I call Millie's three C's, conscious, consistent commitment. Every day, conscious, consistent commitment to choosing those decisions and those choices that meant that I carved out that healthy self-pathway that eventually became a highway and became my new way of thinking. So when we look at NLP, there's a lot of um, it's a lot of use of language and metaphors to get you to look at things differently, changing your perspective on things, a lot of looking at your values, um, what drives you. Wow. And what does the NLP stand for? It's neuro... Neuro-linguistic programming. You weren't listening Brilliant. to what I said in the whole... <laughs> that was at the beginning. It's, it's a very, very powerful <laughs> modality. Yeah. I'm just sitting here, and I have heard of it before, and it fascinates me, but I'm just sitting here thinking, right, so it's now April, and I've just ticked off on the alcohol-free April because mm. we had the beautiful Sarah Rasbuch in, and mm-hmm. she was talking about grey area, area drinking. drinking, and now I'm sitting here with Millie thinking, oh, I think I've got a million red flags here as well. <laughs> I'm just, red flag. I'm just a red flag kind of girl. <laughs> really? <laughs> For love and fond of the luxuries and pleasures of life. But mm. there's nothing wrong with that, is there, Millie? You're Absolutely the all or nothing not. girl. I'm all or nothing Trish, girl. you're the all or nothing Life girl. is to be lived. Yeah. Yes. Far too short not to get out there and just do things. So, Millie, we're unfortunately, as with all of our interesting conversations, getting running out of time. But one question that kind of popped into my mind just then was, you know, kind of with this podcast being midlife specific, is there a client or a story that you could share with us that someone's presented with a eating disorder in midlife and, and then they've turned it around? Yeah, look, absolutely. I had uh, a client who definitely it presented itself I guess came, it came to the fore more during COVID and she was faced with having to, she'd never told anyone. I was actually the first person she'd ever told and that was pre-COVID and she had also been seeing other mental health professionals for other uh, issues but no one knew about her eating disorder and so she told me and that was a huge release and then obviously we went into COVID lockdown and well, yeah. Mm, uh, you touched on before, all of the normal hiding places. Absolutely or- and she has a number of children and so comments were made and so that was obviously incredibly hard incredibly confronting for her but it also forced her to to own up to it and to really face it head on and I think one of the biggest things for her was not wanting it to affect her children which she suddenly realized it was already affecting them and so she really became determined that she was going to kick this and that she didn't want it to uh, hang around for any longer. Now, she had developed an eating disorder younger, but it had been sort of dormant, for want of a better word, and then uh, really, you know, she basically had a relapse during during COVID or just before COVID, and then COVID obviously exasperated the situation. Um, and But, you know, she's doing amazingly well um, and who's really, really tackled those inner demons. And I think this is one of the key things when it comes to eating disorders. And part of the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why, no matter what therapy we tried, I didn't get well for a very long time because I ran rings around the therapist. I was very good at, yes, I'll give up that and that and that in terms of behaviours, um, but I'll just keep these ones down here yes. because I quite Hidden like away. to dabble in these and this kind of gives yeah. me a little bit of a sense yeah. of and when I went to see my dear therapist Silky and she just blew everything out of the water, she was as tough as they come and she just la- she would just laugh at me and she was like, well, if you want to get well, that's not possible and I'd storm out of the room and tell her to fuck off and <laughs> then you'd be all back. of these things, <laughs> yes, and then would have these pivotal moments on the sand dunes with mum going, do you think? She's like, well, you're pregnant practically dying. It's been 15 years, so can we give it a go? Um, How about we give it a crack? Yeah, how about we just give it a crack? How about that, darling? So it really, and it's hard. It is hard. Yes. But you've got to go to that root 
root cause. You've got to go what I call the bedrock of the eating disorder. You've got to face those things. You've got to get rid of them. It's like I say to my clients, you have got to absolutely slam the door on that eating disorder and throw away the key. You cannot leave the door slightly ajar or, you know, the spare key with the eating disorder. Because even if that door is slightly ajar and it's just got one little toe slightly in there, you're gone. You're gone. Oh my gosh, I've just got a visual of that little kitty cat paw coming under the door. I have too. I'm I'm yeah. in that story so with you. How did your client then, did she use a multidisciplinary approach? Yes. To, okay. Yes. And obviously coaching as well, yeah. which is which is fantastic because obviously as a coach, my clients have access to me all the time. So in those little moments where oh, I really felt compelled to get up the scales, but I'm just struggling. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Mm. Um, and 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 moving away from that that weight centric focus and, mm. and and embracing life and constantly being reminded what actually matters to you. What are your values and what are we striving for rather mm-hmm. than yeah. uh, actually having that narrow minded focus so on oh, well, I'll never be happy rather than. Yeah, yeah this, sure. rather than this idea that, well, unless I'm this weight, I'm never going to be happy. And I can oh, absolutely yes. categorically promise you that your eating disorder is never going to be happy with whatever weight you're at. It'll always and want yes. something Women still wanting to get back to the weight that they were at high school or, you know, in their early 20s, their glory days. And this is the thing. And when, you know, when we talk about pregnancy and all of this thing, and like, it just upsets me so much that we still talk about in terms of, oh, you know, I, I need to get my bo- a body back. Or it's like, no, your body my, hasn't, your body hasn't gone anywhere. Or, oh, yeah. I only gained this many kilos when I was pregnant. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Mm. It's, it's Who cares? so. I nearly tipped the tongue. <laughs> that in itself is disordered. <laughs> But that's the thing, isn't it? We always think when people talk about eating disorders, mm-hmm. we always think about someone with anorexia. You know, we don't always think about the binge eating or mm. the or when we think about binge eating, we think about binging and purging. We don't mm. think about emotional eating or mm-hmm. you know overeating yeah. or all the other disorders. There's such a huge spectrum yeah. out there. There sure is, and that's why mm. I mean, I mean, we've got we've got ARFID as well, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. I mean, there are there are so many. <laughs> Oh, a little bit about what? that one. Oh. So that is where people I'm trying have to self-diagnose here. Um, <laughs> I can tell different aversions <laughs> to um, different tastes, different textures, different food, and uh-huh. it's not just being fussy. Like it is. So um, for anybody who's interested, head to the End Eating Disorders podcast. I've done an episode on it. But it is debilitating wow. because, you know, the uh, the level of panic that ensues and how it can consume people's lives is huge. It's immense. It's, yeah. So yes. there are so many different different eating disorders. And also, as we say, you know, it does exist on a spectrum. And and this is why it's so important that when we look at treatment, it's not, it's got to be individualized. It, yeah. it, this can't be a blanket approach because if eating disorders tailor themselves to an individual and so therefore we've got to look at that individual and their their circumstance and how can we best support that individual and also be mindful that how we can best support them at the beginning may be completely different midway through because the eating disorder's morphed. Yeah. Wow. So that's oh. why it is such an insidious beast and so hard to to, to to treat and that's why, you know, it's one of the highest mortality rates of any mental illness. Yeah. Wow. Gee, we're complex, aren't we? Yeah, we are. So, Millie, given that you are a 30-isher, we can't ask you our normal wrap-up question, but from your perspective as a younger woman, what would you tell your younger self if you had the chance to go back in time? Oh, that's such a good question. I would say to her, you are braver and stronger than you could begin to imagine, and full recovery from your eating disorder is absolutely possible for you. Please don't listen to those specialists that are telling you that you're not going to make it. I know you are beyond petrified and death feels so close that you could touch it. But you have everything that you need right there inside of you to rise up and beat this insidious beast of an illness. And my darling girl, the life that's waiting for you on the other side of this living hell is beyond your wildest dreams. So keep fighting for it because you deserve freedom. Oh, Millie, that was beautiful. I just got goosebumps. And I wanted to go back and give 20-ish Millie a big hug. Teenage Millie a hug. I have no idea how many times I've wanted to do that. Holy moly. But you would have got lots of hugs. You know, you have a very loving family. This is the thing, you know, but it's not the eating disorder. Like you said, the beast is bigger than that. Yeah. You know, it's it's 
It's awful. So that's it from that's us today. It, Millie, unfortunately, Thank you so much. <laughs> it has just been so interesting. Yeah. Millie, if people would like to listen to the podcast that you do and also would like to reach out to you, how do they do that? So, End Eating Disorders podcast is available on all your podcasts. Spotify, however Google. you listen yeah, to your we'll podcast. We'll also put it in the show notes and on yes. socials as well. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's also in the link in my bio on my Instagram. And I know you guys are going to link in my Instagram accounts. And also you can head to my website. So www.healed.net.au. So you can find out all about coaching, what I do with NLP. Or you can reach out to me at millie at healed.net.au. And you can also head to NDED, www.ndead.org.au if you're interested in looking at what we're doing there as well because there are lots of exciting awesome. projects happening. Love that. I, I love just, the dub dub dub. I too. was just thinking. The World Wide Web that stands for. <laughs> I freaking love the, the internet. Dub, dub, it's the internet. WWW. I think that's, I think that's your kiwiness coming out in you. Oh, gosh. Yeah. All right. I love yeah, but it. we love that. Don't go changing it. It's Don't brilliant. change We're anything. We're taking it. Yeah. It's going to go viral. It's going to go viral. The dub 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 going viral. Dub, dub. Okay, dub, dub. we're going to get a dub 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 very soon. God, this, am <laughs> I yeah, am I going to end dub. up finally getting a TikTok account? Am I going to go viral and end up we'll be doing some dub dub yeah. dubbing? Hope so. That would moly. be fun. It would be anything that's fun. We're in. So don't forget, 50-ishers, you can follow us on Instagram at don'tgiver50 or email us at hello at don'tgiver50.com.au. And remember, life is for living. Don't give a 50 because we are all 50 and awesome regardless of age and living and ageing is an absolute privilege. So enjoy, ladies. Yeah. No restrictions, no rules. Maybe a couple of boundaries, but no rules. <laughs> <laughs> Millie, thank you. Thank you, darling. And I'm saying darling again because I say well, darling. Well, you're there too. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. Not I that there's anything the wrong with well. that. Seinfeld said that. Thank you so much for having me. Love you both lots and just, yeah, great to be here. Love you Love too. It. Bye. Bye. I'm just a red flag. I'm just a red flag kind of girl. (laughs) Really? A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs>